I want you to imagine with me this morning. We use our imaginations. Okay, imagine yourself as a child. Speaking of which, children, you may be released <coughs> into children's church. Imagine that you're a child. You look just like you did when you were a child. Only in this scenario, in this scenario, you don't know your parents. Okay, so you are a child, but with no parents. Since you don't have any parents, you, you weren't taken to school, so you also don't have any education. You don't know how to read, how to write, how to communicate very well. <coughs> Since you don't have parents, you don't have a house, a home. So you have no place to, no one to give you your baths, things like that. So you're dirty. Since you don't have parents, you don't have food prepared for you, so what you eat is what you can find. Scraps of food, scraps of garbage out of trash cans and dumpsters. You don't have a bed to sleep in at night. You have newspapers and whatever you can find to try to huddle up for warmth. Can you picture yourself in this scenario? Your clothes are tight because you're, you're growing, but there's nobody there to give you new clothes and they're torn and they're raggedy and dirty and you live in a box a cardboard box on the side of the road and every day people pass by you on this road but no one stops and this is your life can you picture yourself this child in this situation now imagine that one day a car slows to a stop in front of your box. For the first time, somebody stopped. And you hear the door open and you see, you know how you can see underneath the car, the, the, the shoes of the driver, he gets out. And they're immaculately shined shoes. They're beautiful shoes. And he walks around the car and you see him and he's in a suit. And it's, it's a beautiful suit and his shirt is starched and his tie is immaculate and he has like a golden tie clasp and... And you see his um, cufflinks shimmering in the sunshine. And he walks up to you and he kneels down and he has papers in his hand. But you, you can't read it. You don't know what these papers mean. So he explains them to you. And he says, you have always lived in a box. But these papers mean that now you're going to have a home. You're going to have an address and a mailbox. And that address is where your house will be, and it's a big house. You've worn these same tight, tattered clothes forever. But in this home, you'll have a room, your own room, and there'll be a closet full of clothes for you that fit you. There'll be warm socks, new socks. There'll be pants and shirts and belts and a winter jacket for when it gets cold. This is here for you now. At night, you curl up under newspaper. But now, in your new home, in your new room, you have a bed. It's a king-size bed. And it's got comforters and soft sheets and big pillows. You'll never be cold at night again. You eat scraps of food that you find on the side of the road and in dumpsters. Well, in your new home, there's a kitchen downstairs, and it is fully stocked. The pantry is full of food. The refrigerator is full of food. The ref the, the, the freezer. The freezer is full of food. And not just 
you know, non-perishables. There's ice cream in that freezer too. Everything that you might want is available to you now. You have your own private bathroom. You don't have to be dirty anymore. You don't know how to read these papers and you can't write or really communicate. But I've arranged for a world-class tutor to teach you all things. You've had no parents, but now you have a father. Because today, these papers say that I have adopted you. And now you will be my son, my daughter. I will be your father. You will have my name now. You'll bear my last name. And one day, you will inherit everything that is mine. Now, can you just think of what your emotions would be as this child? Hearing this. Because this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. If you'll flip there with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 beginning at verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, he predestined us to adoption. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Those who trust Jesus as their Savior and acknowledge Jesus as their Lord are adopted as sons and daughters of God. Just like that scenario that we just imagined. And I introduce it this way because I want you to know that the next piece of armor, the armor we're going to talk about today, it's yours. If you are a Christian, the next piece of armor that we're going to talk about is yours. As an adopted son or daughter of God through Jesus Christ, it's yours. So last week, we talked about truth, the belt of truth, and how Satan wants to attack us on on the area of ideas. And we need to know truth so we don't get deceived, and we need to speak truth so we don't deceive others. This week, if you want to go ahead and flip to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Last week we learned that Satan wants to attack on the battlefield of ideas. This week we're going to learn that he wants to attack you and your family and our church on the battlefield of identity. And our defense is the breastplate of righteousness. Now just go ahead right now before we get into it and admit That that is a very abstract idea. The breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? How do you put on the breastplate of righteousness? I mean, practically, we're supposed to walk out of here. What does it mean? We're going to find out. I'd like to read um, our passage today. And if you would, if you're able to honor God's word, if you would stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. (laughs) Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're so grateful that we have God's word that we can study this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So keep this scenario of the adopted child in your mind as we wade into this sermon. But I have a question for you. Are you righteous? Are you? Think about it. Are you righteous? Are you righteous? Righteousness is, I I looked up different definitions. I think the simplest way to look at it is just the state of being right. Makes sense, right? Righteousness is just the state of being right. Right with yourself, right with others, right with God. By implication in the scriptures, it means innocence. That you're justified, that you're innocent before God. So now that we've defined it, that might help. Are you righteous? Let me read you a couple verses to give you some hints. You don't, don't flip here, I'll just read them to you. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none righteous, not even one. So are you righteous? Well... That verse seems to indicate not. Let me give you another verse, another hint. Uh, Romans 5.19. For as though one man's disobedience, I'm sorry, for as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. He's talking about Adam. Since Adam sinned, everybody was born sinful thereafter. For through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one meaning Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So like Adam sinned and and messed up everything for the rest of us, Jesus died and made it possible for the rest of us to to be made righteous. So are you righteous? The Bible teaches that you're not righteous. On your own, you're not righteous. You're unrighteous. We're born with what's called a sin nature. You know it's true. From the womb, all you really cared about was yourself. As a baby, that's all you cared about. As a toddler, that's all you cared about. When, as you grew up, you were about loving yourself, worshiping yourself. When God's greatest two commandments were about loving others and worshiping Him. So we've blown the first two big commandments just since we were born. We're naturally unrighteous. But... In Jesus, you can be made righteous. So, and that's what Paul continues his thought with. That first couple of verses I read about adoption, listen to what Paul says next. He says, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. So simply, this is just gospel 101. Those who trust Jesus as their Savior, acknowledge him as their Lord, are adopted as sons. And the riches that God heaps on you is redemption and forgiveness. And you are made righteous in Jesus. This is, think of this as positional righteousness. Okay? I'm not trying to bore you with technical terms. Just think positional righteousness. In Jesus, your position is righteous. Christian, you who are Christian in here, you are righteous. You can answer that question, yes. I am as righteous as Jesus because I'm in him. My position is in Jesus. Think of it like there's two columns in God's book. There's column number one. People who do not trust Jesus as their Savior, don't acknowledge Him as their Lord. They've not been born again, not been saved. Unrighteous. The unrighteous column. You were all born in the unrighteous column. Now in Jesus, you have been moved to the righteous column. Your position is now righteousness. So you can answer that question, yes, I am righteous. You can answer that question, yes, I am sleepy. And you are righteous. I'm sleepy this morning too. Think of it in in terms of perspective. When God looks at you, if you are a Christian, and you're in Jesus, what does he see? Does he see your actions, your works, your good No, when he looks at you and you're in Jesus, he sees Jesus' righteousness. So when you're in this column, you're you're depending on your own goodness before God, trying to be a good person. It's not going very well. When God looks at you over here, that's what he sees. He sees the failure. You know, we all know that we fail. But when you're in this column and God looks at you, he doesn't see all that. He sees Jesus' perfection. Positionally, if you are a Christian, you are righteous. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I making such a big deal out of this? Well, Satan doesn't want you to acknowledge that. He doesn't want you to believe it. He wants you to feel guilt and regret and be haunted by it. He wants you to be ashamed of who you are and to hide and to act, to try to act righteous. He doesn't want you to stand firm and be able to answer Are you righteous with a a resounding confidence? Yes, I am righteous. Not because I'm so great, but because of Jesus. I'm in him. This is one of Satan's key battlefields. Remember who you are. You've been adopted. You're not that orphan anymore. You are God's son, God's daughter. Remember who you are. Some of you are thinking, well, I sure don't feel very righteous. I mean, I I trust Jesus as my Savior. I acknowledge Him as my Lord. But I sure don't feel very righteous. In fact, if you had been in the car with me just on the way here this morning, I was angry. My spouse made us late again. My kids disobeyed again. And outwardly, you could tell I was angry, but inwardly, there was profanity. I didn't say it out loud, but man, I thought it, and I felt it, and I embraced it. 
You don't know me. I don't feel very righteous. I was at a camp recently, and um, sometimes I like to do like a Q&A kind of thing. It works well with young people. I wouldn't do it with you guys because I'm scared what kind of questions would come. I wouldn't have the answers, but um, usually I can figure out answers for, for the teens. So I can't, after the lesson, I, I just open it up. If anybody has any questions, I had a box there. You can put your questions in the box. And I'll uh, sort of rank them, which ones I think are the best, and I'll answer them tomorrow. Or you can just toss them out, and we'll talk about it. And, uh, and I, let, I opened it up. People could leave if they were done. But if people had questions, they could stay and talk. So some people stayed, and one of the people who stayed was actually a camp counselor. You know, this is mainly for the campers. But the counselor, I could tell, was just waiting for her turn. And she had a question that she wanted to ask me. And I had been teaching a lot about this righteousness gospel stuff and her question was probably the same question many of you had if I'm so righteous in Jesus why do I keep sinning why can I not stop sinning there's this thing in, in my life that I know is wrong if I'm so righteous in Jesus why can't I stop is that the question on some of your minds now we're getting into the other P Practical righteousness. I know this feels like a seminary class. Okay, we just talked about your position in Christ is righteous. Your question is a good one. Because even though positionally in Jesus you're righteous, practically you have not grown into that new identity yet. You're like that orphan kid in his new mansion. Yet positionally he's there. But he hasn't figured out how to work the knobs in the shower to wash that dirt off yet. He hasn't figured out where his clothes are to get changed. He has to grow into his new identity to embody the name of his new father. So positionally, if you trust Jesus as your savior, if you acknowledge him as your Lord, positionally, you are righteous. If he returned right now, even if right now you have a, an evil thought in your mind when he returned, you're thinking, man, I wish Matt would shut up. I want to go to KFC. And he returns right when you have that thought. Is he still going to accept you even though when he returned you had an evil thought? And that is an evil thought. (laughs) Is he? I've I've met people who say no. Who say you're under the umbrella of salvation so long as you're not sinning. But if you sin, if you look lustfully at a girl, you step out of that umbrella of salvation. And if Jesus returned in that minute, you're not saved. That's what some people believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. If Jesus returned and you had your evil KFC thought in your mind, in that moment, positionally, you're still righteous. Because it's not your goodness that's getting you into heaven to begin with. It's Jesus. You with me? You follow? So positionally, righteous. Practically, growing into that new identity, into that righteousness. It's like, just think of me and and my boy Elias. Um, let's just say I'm trying to make the Broadway name mean something. I want the Broadway... Why is everybody laughing? That's not a joke. <laughs> I'm not joking. So let's just say I'm trying to make the Broadway name, like when you hear it, you think, let's just say trustworthiness. Broadway synonymous with honest, trustworthy people. Okay? And then Elias, I walk with him someplace, and I hear him tell a lie. 
And I bend down and I say, Elias, remember, you're a Broadway. That's sort of what this passage is saying to us. Saying, hey, Christian, remember, you're God's son, you're God's daughter. Remember who you are. It's possible to act out of our true identity. But God's word is always trying to remind us, remember who you are in Christ. That's not really who you are anymore. Satan wants to hinder you from becoming who you are in your new sonship or daughterhood. That's a word. He wants to keep you living in that cardboard box, wearing those dirty old clothes, living that old lifestyle. He wants to keep you there. If he couldn't keep God from adopting you, he wants to keep you living as though you're still an orphan. He wants to keep you from growing into the righteousness that is yours. It's yours in Jesus. Paul explains how to fight this by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, I believe, in chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. And I would encourage you to go ahead and flip there. Verses 20 through 27 of chapter 4. I think this is somewhat of the idea he's referring to when he says put on the breastplate of righteousness. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. And here's the the key part. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in Righteousness. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Put off that old self, that old orphan lifestyle. Put on the new self that has been recreated in righteousness, in God's image. And then he goes on, and I, I think when he goes on after there in verse 25 and following, I think that's sort of a portrait of this, this new family resemblance that we're growing into. And I'll just read it with you. If you'll stick with me, I'm going to read some scripture. I hope that's okay. Stick with me. It's God's word. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, put off falsehood. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and yet don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is not in of itself evil. It's just evil if we're out of control of it. And don't give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. Put that off. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You read these at first and you think they're rules, you think, oh, I've got to do this stuff. I've got to stop lying. I've got, t- got to start telling the truth. 
I've got to stop being bitter and I've got to start being tenderhearted. I've got all these rules now I've got to follow. These aren't rules. This is a reminder of who you are in Christ. These aren't rules for you to obey, to earn your way to righteousness. You're already righteous in Jesus. This is a reminder of who you are so you can grow into that. Rules lead to exhaustion and despair or pride if you're doing well. These aren't rules. So breastplates, obviously, are put over your chest, protects the core of you, your heart. You may have heard me say in the past that your heart is sort of the core of who you are, the core of your identity. That's how the Bible uses that, the word heart. Putting off your old self, putting on your new self, is what will protect you, your identity in Christ. And Satan wants to strike you there. I don't know how many Christians, even in our church, move through their life like they're unrighteous, trying to earn righteousness, when in reality they're righteous. Already in Jesus, and they grow into it. Satan wants you to feel as though you're unrighteous, having to earn your way to it. And it's deception, and it's subtle. And we mustn't let him do it. Lay aside the old self, put on the new truth-speaking, anger-controlling, generous, grace-speaking, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving self. Now, for some of you, the application of all this might just be as simple as sitting down by yourself sometime with your journal or just yourself and just saying, maybe even out loud, I am righteous. If you are a Christian, if you have been born again, if you are trusting totally in Jesus for your salvation, are acknowledging him as Lord, rightfully owner of your life. You can say that to yourself. I am righteous. That doesn't feel right, does it? That doesn't feel right. I heard a story recently about a pastor who, in his congregation, there was a young man who struggled with same-sex attraction. Speaking of which, side note, I think it's a work of Satan that we want to label people who struggle with same-sex attraction as homosexual. As though that's their identity. It's not their identity. They are people who struggle with a sin. Again, he wants to battle us on the level of identity. So anyway, probably should plan that out better. I don't know if that made sense to you. It does to me. <laughs> this pastor had in his congregation a young man who was a Christian, righteous in Jesus, but still struggled with some of his old nature, same-sex attraction. And every Sunday, this, this guy would just weep, he, and he would weep, and the pastor would talk to him, and he'd say, I, just, I cannot live up to the standard here. And the pastor said, you're right. You're right. You cannot, in your power, live up to the standard." You have to acknowledge that Jesus lived up to the standard. And your identity is found in him. 
Stop trying so hard and start trusting in him. So one night the pastor gets a call and this young man said, Pastor, I cannot help myself. I'm going out cruising. And the pastor didn't really say anything. And the young man said, well, don't you think that's wrong? And the pastor said, well, of course I think it's wrong. And the young man said, well, what do you think I should do? And I love the pastor's response. He said, well, what do you think someone who is as righteous as Jesus Christ should do? And the man didn't say what he was going to do. He got off the phone. But later the pastor found out that the man went home. He never did go out. And instead he got a notebook and just wrote over and over again, I am as righteous as Jesus. And just marveled at the grace of that. Reflecting on that language back in Ephesians that he lavishes us with these riches of redemption and forgiveness. And he just marveled. Man, in God's eyes, I am as righteous as Jesus. Maybe for some of you, that's your application. Maybe some of you have been trying to earn your way to righteousness. You've been believing the lie that you can earn it. And you need to just stop trying to be good and realize that in Jesus you're righteous already. And let the Holy Spirit bring that fruit out in you. Some of you need to search your hearts. Some of you are realizing, well, I don't feel very righteous. And that's because I have no righteousness in me. Some of you need to realize, even though maybe you've gone to church for a long time, you never really have surrendered yourself to Jesus. Maybe some of you have gone to church for a long time and you know a lot about Jesus, but you don't actually know Jesus. And you never have come to that point where you said, I just give up. I give up all of my other pursuits for salvation and I just trust in Jesus for it. Maybe some of you have never come to the point where you say, okay, Jesus, I recognize you're the Lord of my life. I'll submit to your word. Maybe some of you are still in the unrighteous column. If that's you, you don't just need to try to be better. Even if you could stop sinning today and never sin again, you're already defiled by the sin. And even still, you're just doing what's expected. It's not like you're doing anything great. You've got to stop trying to be good and just give up and accept what Jesus is trying to give you. Adoption as a son into God's household. I pray that this makes sense. One more word about how this works. I like the way Paul sums it up in the very beginning of chapter 5. Therefore, sort of summing up all this about putting off the old, putting on the new, becoming who you are. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Just imitate your dad. You're his beloved child. Just imitate your dad and you'll grow up. You'll become who you are as you imitate your dad. It makes me think of Elias. He's, he is a mirror to what I really am. The other day, Meredith wanted to tell him goodnight on the phone. She was coming home late. And he said, oh, I'm busy right now. I'm working. <laughs> Where did he get that? He's imitating his dad. And he'll put 
he'll get his pen. I'll, I'll walk around, or he'll come out of the kitchen and have his pen in his ear. He'll say, hey, Dad, I'm working. <laughs> He's imitating his dad, and I love that. And that's all God wants. He has adopted you into his family as his child. Just imitate God like beloved children. And thereby put on the breastplate of righteousness. Protect ourselves from Satan's attack. Let's pray. Father, my prayer at the end of the sermon is that you would, by your Holy Spirit, sort these things out in our minds and in our hearts. This treads on a dangerous line of giving license to just sin because we're righteous in Jesus. We know that's not right. That's like saying, let's just go live in that cardboard box because we're adopted. Makes no sense. Help us to see who we are in Jesus. Help us to embrace this new identity that you've given us in Jesus and the riches that you lavish on us in Jesus. The riches of redemption and forgiveness. Help us to embrace this new lifestyle that you've adopted us into. Help us to become who we are. Righteous. In your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.